team matthew fisher guess what folks we're talking movies uh that is what we're here to do today not but, just any movies but spectacular movies <laughs> this month <laughs> it's october horror you're an x-rated work in progress <laughs> check back next week uh before we get started on movies this week mm-hmm. i have a question that i feel like you are uniquely suited to answer oh okay when was the last American dance craze? Hmm. When has there been a Macarena? You mean since the Macarena? Yeah. And that was going to be my answer. Um. Because that 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 dance is like twenty one years old now. Oh, jeez, you're right. Yeah. Maybe we just don't have dance crazes anymore. Like the whip and the nene, but right. you know, no one's really going to the club and whipping out the whip. Right, and you don't see a lot of like, you know, grandmothers doing that or, you know, people at the Democratic National Convention doing it. <laughs> just, just Hillary on Ellen. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, now I wonder why you're asking me. Are you saying we should try and start one? I'm just... Maybe th- this is, is, is part of the, the degradation of the social fabric, is that we have no unifying sense of movement together. <laughs> Something to make us all look like assholes at right, the same like, time? Despite our political differences, we all, you know, can join in in the joy of movement. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the ties that bind, it overlooks ideology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know just like uh when the electric slide comes on and at a wedding you're next to your aunt as well as a three i don't know how old are kids when they walk six year old we'll say um we're not parents here at x-rated <laughs> shuffling along i could see that you know and, but I mean, even just styles of dance, like you can say like hustle or electric slide, like during the disco era, but there was still disco, like that right. was a style of dancing. Right. And even now, like clubs, it's mostly just people jumping up and down, moving their arms around. <laughs> but you were in a dance band. I was in a dance band. Um, none of my uh, songs seemed to get everybody moving in the same motions though mm. perhaps if uh, it had gone on longer mm-hmm. we could have come up with that next dance craze okay in an alternate universe i assume that's what's happening um at least one of them yeah the lollipop <laughs> possibly took the nation by storm yeah don't uh the president uh you know, love the lollipop and dong ding. <laughs> in this best dance craze we've had, period. In this alternate universe, Trump is still president. Yeah, damn it. There's not a. It's not a, a president Kucinich or something. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, I don't have a Kucinich on. impression in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's say he's not president, but he's still a mouthpiece. He's a judge on American Idol, which yeah. he should be. Extremely liberal in this one. Yeah, he's, he's a judge on So You Think You Can Dance. Yeah. That's everyone doing the lollipop dong ding. <laughs> we really need to get more funding for the arts. The arts are what makes our country great. No need to make it great again. Let's make it great in the future. Lollipop a dong ding is a great way to start. Sam, I'm glad I asked you. <laughs> Matt, I have a question for you. Oh. Did you watch anything on this week? Yes. I, well, A, I binge watched the entire new season of Bojack Horseman. Oh, okay. Or as some people are calling it, the Sad Horse Show. Because <laughs> really, like, it's sort of a comedy the way that, like, Louis C.K. show Louis is a comedy and that it's not. It's just finding a not completely sad way to talk about loneliness and isolation. Uh-huh. I watched season one and really liked it. I don't know why I didn't stick with it. <laughs> season four is, is by far the darkest season. It feels like an off-season a little bit because most of the characters have just completely separate storylines mm-hmm. that don't really intertwine. And it's super sad. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, I'm loving it. Um, and then I also watched the uh, Toby Hooper movie Spontaneous Combustion with uh, Brad Dorif. What's that about? <laughs> it's... It's basically a Cronenberg movie from, like, that time period. Like, it's shamelessly indebted to, like, Scanners and The Fly and things like that. Okay. Uh, Brad Dorif's parents worked, like, as nuclear scientists on, like, a test base. And so, like, he's raised with, like, a secret power that he doesn't know about. Okay. Uh, and then some girl who, like, pretends to, like, fall in love with him starts giving him, like, uh, naturopathic medicine is this uh, an argument for or against naturopathic medicine? Well, it wasn't actually naturopathic medicine. Oh. Like, it was nuclear chemicals in pill form or something. Okay. I don't know. I didn't pay that much attention. <laughs> uh, but it had Brad Dorif in it, so yeah. it couldn't be all bad. Yeah. It does reinforce my belief that Toby Hooper was not a very good director, though. Yeah. What about you? Did you watch anything? I did. I got around to watching A Separation. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's, I don't know how to sell this movie to people. <laughs> like, hey, do you want to watch a morally gray movie about the court systems in Iran? I do. <laughs> it's two hours. <laughs> Academy uh, Award Best Picture winner. Yeah, it was super good, though. It's a movie that the story is twisty and great and makes you feel con- you're constantly wincing because mm-hmm. it's like there's no good or bad characters here every it's so gray mm-hmm. area and like it kind of uh you know it's just another one of those movies that like you can expand it out to just culture in general yeah it's just like what who's right anymore there's just no black and white and um it actually is kind of interesting to see how the Iranian court system works. And it was nice to just see, because, um, and I hate to say this, but it's really easy to kind of other Muslim people, mm-hmm. especially women, because of the way they dress. It's really mm-hmm. easy to be like, oh, they must live this crazy, weird lifestyle. It was really it was really great to just see them, like, using a dishwasher mm-hmm. and, like, you know, just, like, 
taking out the trash, stuff that you do every day. You yeah. Know? It's like their lives are not that different from ours. Yeah. Um, because we, we do get inundated a lot with like with stereotypes. Um, I liked it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw that one in theaters. I really enjoyed it. Tits worth checking out. Tits. Oh, and I hate to say this, but the main dude, dad guy, is kind of hot. I seem to recall that as well, yeah. It was a little distracting at moments. But hey, if that's what gets you in the, to watch it, there you go. So, speaking of hot guys, <laughs> in today's movie, yeah, a little film called Bad Moon from 1986. Six. Close. Uh, I thought the uncle was hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we get to see a butt shot. And it made In me... the first five minutes. <laughs> well, so I, we'll get to the, the opening scene, but I want to know why there's not a sex move called the hot uncle. I feel like that... It's just asking for one. <laughs> uh, what would it be? Oh, I mean, I'm not quite sure. Mostly because, I mean, sex act rarely reflects what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, hot Carl, Cleveland steamer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, rusty trombone. I can I can see the, the illustration of it. Uh huh. Like the Eiffel Tower situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, I don't know. Maybe some listeners can chime in on that. Yeah. What is a hot uncle <laughs> in the sex move category? But yeah, I, I actually wrote down as one of my notes that... Um, oh, I see why Matt wanted to watch this movie. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a sex scene in the first two minutes. <laughs> so the opening scene is just pure straightforward horror movie it's like four minutes long if it's like a minute like (laughs) it's out in the jungle you got the hot guy his hot research assistant you know two absurdly attractive people who also like are working on a grant in the jungles of wherever (laughs) we don't even know yeah for some reason i thought they were making a movie (laughs) i wasn't really paying attention too much at the beginning you're just like these people look more like actors than scientists (laughs) Anyway, uh, so we get a little bit of research talk, and then they're like, "Oh, well, it's time for bed." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "This has been such a wonderful adventure." You made it wonderful. And then they like tongue kiss in front of the natives. Yes, they're just like, "Ah, ah, ah." It's like the, this called for a peck on the lips. This did not call for what they're doing. <laughs> uh, they go into their tent. Which isn't that far from, like, their crew. <laughs> like, certainly within earshot, but, like, if the the light from the campfire caught it right, I'm sure you could get the silhouette. <laughs> so, so we got, like, five lines of dialogue before, like, a breast is coming out. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we're getting a little bit of a nipple. Got some man chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did see... I, I saw some scrotum. I went back and paused it to make frame sure. Frame by frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before, sure enough, something comes up, rips open the tent, lifts the woman out, and starts ripping her all up. Oh, yeah. She gets Uh, destroyed. 
he gets clawed across the chest, mm-hmm. and he crawls out of his tent, and you get the uh, nice sort of butt, butt curvature shot. there. Mm-hmm. Um, That's when I wrote down, I see why you want to watch this. Because <laughs> I get a little booty shot in the mm-hmm. first three, four minutes. I'm not complaining. <laughs> um, to where he gets uh, his shotgun, his rifle, his whatever it is, mm-hmm. his double barrel, uh, and it has... One of my favorite scenes in any horror movie is just the werewolf who's, like, you know, ripping the girl apart, and he just, like, smashes her down. <laughs> it's like he's dunking a, a, a basketball into a hoop that's, like, three feet tall. Yeah. Like one of those plastic ones when you're playing with, with children. Yeah, you're just like, <laughs> Yeah. But Hot Uncle gets that shotgun, aims at the werewolf's head, pulls the trigger... Kaboom. That head goes flying. It's a, it's a scanner's right there. Yeah, just whoosh. Just the cephalic carnage. <laughs> just unstoppable. And then credits. Yeah. Like opening and credits. Like, oh, here we go. Pretty good start. Yeah, just pure. I, I mean, that, that's how you think of like horror movies. Like, you know, you get that bit of action before it fades to credits. Yeah. And it's just, it was good stuff. Like, it gets you right on board, shows you what movie you're about to watch. <laughs> but yeah, then we get this beautiful helicopter shot of the Pacific Northwest. Is it the Pacific Northwest? Well, yeah, somewhere in I, I assumed it was Maine or something. No, they said, like, Seattle at one point. They did, they said, uh, when Hot Uncle's making an excuse for where his girlfriend is, he said that, uh... Right, she's she, in she, Seattle. She went to Seattle. And there were other cues, there was some other cue where it's, it's, I know it's like, it was a Pacific Northwest. Thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's something about this that always just reminds me of, like, a Stephen King-type movie. Oh, yeah. And those always take place in, uh, Derry, Maine. Yeah. So maybe I just made that equation that this was somewhere in Maine. There's other things that read, like, um, the Eddie Bauer wardrobe of everybody, <laughs> which was big in the 90s. Um, yeah, the 90s were not a, a, a heady time for horror movies. Like, we, we had the Scream franchise. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, two goods and a dud. But really, other than that, like, the 90s didn't produce a lot of quality horror. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, struggling to think of some. Now, the 90s is when, like, where, like, horror franchises came to die. Yeah. Not many were born, and then, like, all the ones that came out in, like, the 70s and 80s, like, stopped, like, <laughs> hard stop at the 90s. Yeah. I think Gen X ruined that with their irony. <laughs> That's who I'm going to blame for that. There, yeah, there was just sort of a vacuum in the 90s where all the 80s franchises and slasher fix were, were, were dying out, mm-hmm. going out of, uh, out of fashion, and then it was before we started seeing all these remakes uh, and just, like... Yeah, reappropriations and reboots and mm-hmm. things like that. And the only successful ones were the ones that were kind of like tongue in cheek. Yeah, like Scream had the whole meta thing going for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there wasn't there wasn't too many film franchises, like horror film franchises in the nineties that came out. And there just wasn't that many great horror movies, which I guess would explain why there wasn't many great franchises. If the first one was a dud, then they're not gonna make a sequel. Yeah. But we do have this little gem. Yeah. So Pacific Northwest. Yeah. We have um, Meryl Hemingway living alone. She's a single mother. I like how they, they don't make a big deal about her. Like, they don't say, like, oh, well, if we ever talk to your father again or something like that. Like, there's no... Yeah. It's like she's raising the kid by herself and she's doing fine. Yeah. She took him away from Chicago because Chicago's dangerous. Yeah. And it's better for him to grow up in the woods of Washington. You know, there's no... Uh, 
there's not this like oh balancing work life thing like she's like no out here my workload's lighter yeah i think hot uncle even says that one time he's like you're doing a great job yeah you're a full-time mom to brit and you still manage to work at the firm full-time it's just great but um she has a child by the way kid from rushmore Mason Gamble. Oh, I thought he was the kid from Dennis the Menace. Same person. You're supposed to be his friend. Look, Turk. I am his friend. Oh, yeah, and with friends like you, who needs friends? Whatever happened to Mariel Hemingway? Like, she was the first 17-year-old that Woody Allen professed his love to. Certainly not the last. <laughs> she uh, is related to Ernest Hemingway in some way, right? Granddaughter? I want to say granddaughter. Anyway, very strong face. Maybe not the strongest actress, but uh, serviceable. <laughs> I was going to say, I've definitely seen worse actresses make it further in Hollywood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, she was good in Manhattan. As, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the jailbait. And, yeah, after that she just kind of, I don't know what happened to her. Like, I can't think of too many movies other than... I think she did some TV stuff. I know my dad had a big crush on her. Oh, okay. And they, my parents might have rented this movie <laughs> to watch because Mariel Hemingway was in it. Okay. I remember my stepdad always had a crush on Mimi Rogers. He would always watch Mimi Rogers movies because he had a big thing for her. Okay. Uh, the, the general premise here is we have Mariel Hemingway and Child, mm -hmm. uh, her brother, hot uncle, and they're in the secluded Pacific Northwest area, unnamed secluded town. I mean, it's really just the house. We don't see a town properly. Yeah, it says it's outside of Timberline, wherever that oh, is. Wherever that is. Uh, and they have a dog. Thor. Thor. He's a big old German shepherd. And that's really the extent of the cast. We've got Flopsy, who, who shows up after the opening credits. Which you just know he's going to die at some point. <laughs> Flopsy comes up, and he just looks like a scoundrel. Yeah. Like, you can just see Moocher <laughs> all over him. Written all over his face. Comes up. Uh, the kid's playing with Thor, the dog, and he, Flopsy, intentionally provokes Thor, this giant German shepherd, yeah. and Thor goes after him, and, you know, he threatens to sue, and, you know, Finn's gonna have to pay, or he's gonna make him put the dog down, and then Mariel Hemingway pulls out her business card, and she's like, you can just talk to me, because I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I'm suing. You better get a hold of a lawyer right away, lady, because you're going to hear from mine too, sweet. Oh. You can talk to me. I'm a lawyer. Boom! In your face! And it's one of the... It's, it's so... It's such bad writing. <laughs> like, the whole lead-up scene, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, it's actually kind of satisfying. Yeah. It's clunky character development, Oh, yeah, but it's, it's the worst. It's fine. There's worse offenses in the writing department on this one. Which is weird because this is adapted from a book. Yeah. Called Thor, named after the dog. Right. Uh, written for the screen by uh, Eric Redd, the director. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to know what that book is like. Well, I read the Wikipedia page, and um, apparently the whole book takes place from the dog's perspective. Oh. And um, there's a bigger family in the book. There's actually a husband, wife, and like three kids or something. Okay. And the Thor feels like that's his pack. Oh, okay. Um, so then when the hot uncle comes into the picture, he's kind of conflicted. Because okay. it's like he can tell he's family, but also a inter interloper? Something else. Like, he doesn't know where his loyalties lie. Okay. Exactly. Um, and 
on the Wikipedia page while it's describing this, the last sentence is, the subtleties mainly did not make it into the film. <laughs> These subtleties <laughs> did not make it into the film. It's like, yeah, no, they didn't, because that sounds kind of cool. But um, Yeah, that does sound kind of cool. <laughs> but we get, I mean, so, okay, we do get a lot of the dog's perspective yes, in this movie. we definitely do. And that's a plus, because it's pretty cool to think of, like, what would a dog think of a werewolf? You know? Yeah, and because the the dog Thor is the first to discover that the uncle is a werewolf. Right. The uncle, who they they address it in the movie that it doesn't have to be a full moon; mm-hmm. it can just be really any moon that elicits, you know, werewolfism. Which makes me wonder why they called it Bad Moon. But whenever the werewolf in him is going to come out, the uncle chains himself to like a tree, right, so that he doesn't cause any havoc. Because he's already killed, like, 12 people. Yes. Yeah, he killed... Well, yeah, he killed some hikers. Yeah, and the lumberjack. So he, became, he obviously becomes a werewolf from that first opening scene. Yeah. Moves back to the pack northwest, tries to seclude himself so he doesn't hurt anybody, but it ends up like, oh, well, I'm a werewolf, I'm going to seek out people anyway. Mm-hmm. And he's a werewolf who changes every night, because it doesn't matter what the moon looks like. In stark contrast to what I learned from the thriller video... <laughs> Yeah, so eventually he moves in with his, or moves his Airstream to his sister's place and chains himself up every night. Yes. So he doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. Because he's definitely hurting people and the cops are like, there's some big animals out here eating people up. (laughs) Curfew's in effect. By the way, did you get the impression that Mariel Hemingway and Hot Uncle were like kind of flirting? No. I don't know if it's a Game of Thrones effect or something, but it was definitely... I, I don't know. I felt kind oh, of grossed don't out. Don't tell me that's the hot uncle. <laughs> it just felt icky sometimes. Like, their their friendship, you know, their siblingness I, felt a little more, like, well, flirty uh, than So friendly. a mark in the bad writing department would definitely be that they did not come across as siblings. Yeah. Like, they came across more as, yeah, maybe former lovers than actually siblings. And especially when, like, it opens with him losing a girl. Yeah. It's just like, oh, well, and then we're introduced to Meryl Hemingway. We're, we're so trained as audiences to think, like, oh, will they or won't they? But it, that it's, like, the family taboo isn't enough to, like, make that not feel that way, you know? I mean, maybe this is just that I've seen, you know, this repeatedly at this point. Uh, but I did not get that. Okay, well, my first watch that was just kind of like, I don't know, I just, when I think of siblings on screen, I kind of think of, uh, rivalry or a more acrimonious relationship, Mm -hmm. or at least one that is sort of built on, uh, you know, uh, nitpicking and poking and sort of getting a rise out of the other one. Whereas this, it was so friendly and so cordial that, you know, but I guess the implication was also that Hot Uncle had hit hard times. You know, Meryl Hemingway probably was thinking right. that, like, oh, his, you know, lady friend left him, and he's been despondent ever since. Right. But, yeah. I can see how you can confuse basic human decency with lust. <laughs> so. I do it all the time. So. <laughs> anyway, that could have just been me. I was going to put this in, a, in the con column, but maybe it really did help that um, they kept, like, referring to each other as brother and sister. Mm. Like... You know, 
there, there's this scene where they're going to go see him for the first time, and um, little kid's like, I thought Uncle Ted was in another country. So did I. He's been back three months, and he didn't even call me. That flaky brother of mine. It's like, okay, we get it, guys. And then he kept calling her sis for, like, the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's like, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe, like, let's let's tone down the incest vibes. <laughs> <laughs> there is sort of a, a tonal conflict that I have with Hot Uncle, because it seems like he doesn't... At first, it seems like, you know, the werewolf thing is a curse on him. Mm-hmm. But then there's also parts where he seems to enjoy it. That he's he's sort of happy or, like, maybe, like, addicted to the power. Like, when he's explaining... You know, he's like, oh, in my experience, it doesn't have to be a full moon. You almost see that there's sort of a, a wry sort of, uh, or, or sly yeah. uh, pleasure with, with this. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, when he pees on the doghouse, kind yeah, of like, you yeah. can see he's kind of enjoying that part. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But then it, it goes back to where, you know, because when he initially is, t- is talking to Mariel, like, can I come stay with you for a while? Like, he's in tears about, like what he's done because like the implication is he's just killed some people and the police are looking for him yeah so there's a little back and forth on that where yeah it seems like part of him is sort of addicted to like the power or like the adrenaline Mm -hmm. of being a werewolf and then he has the other side where he's conflicted and you know it seems like it's a burden on him and he doesn't want this i kind of chalk that up to he he eventually starts to give over more to it that's sort of what I did too. Like, it I don't know if seemed... it's played through. Yeah, that maybe super not. Smoothly, but... <laughs> but yeah, I can see what you mean. Like, it's never, it's not a consistent through line. So, so basically, it's just like a slow ramp up of like, when's he going to kill the family? Yeah, sure. Like, it's yeah, just... there's no mystery. Like, there is usually with like a werewolf movie or something like that. It's not like who's the werewolf or something like that. Like, yeah. we all know immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah right away. <laughs> and it's just sort of how he's maneuvering, like, through the family dynamic with this happening, you know, yeah. several times over the course of his stay with the family. And they don't even bother to, like, hide the actual wolf. You no. Know, we see it in the first scene. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know? And then th- there, it's well lit. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. For the rest of the movie. <laughs> it, he, they, don't, they, don't, they don't put the werewolf, like, in endless shadows or behind bushes. Yeah. You know, it's the the view of it's not obscure, and it's classic old style like animatronics and makeup. Like it's not. Yeah. There's a CG transformation scene, right? Which is woof. Yeah, well, it's ninety six. <laughs> but for the most part, it's all practical analog werewolf stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great. I love that. Yeah, I thought it looked great. I went back and forth on whether or not it was scary, though. It's sometimes hard for me to judge what's scary because I don't think like anything's ever scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It looked good though. Yeah, it looked like. Really cool. Yeah. Uh, and because there was there was definitely a person in there oh, sure. moving, but then, like, the head was animatronic. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And, it, yeah, I really liked how the werewolf looked and moved, and it did all sorts of good stuff. Really, the, the best actor in the movie is Thor. <laughs> I, can't, I didn't write down his name, but the, the dog's actual name is, like, Stinky the Mutt. <laughs> uh I mean, the char- the dog character is Thor, but yeah, it's uh, something real stupid like Did you know that dog. before going into watching no. it this time around? I was going to say, it's going to be hard to watch it now without thinking like of the trainer off to the side being like, Stinky, attack! 
I mean, as you'll know from my love of Monkey Shines, I'm a big fan of, of animal actors. Absolutely. Especially yeah. in horror movies. Mm-hmm. And this dog just brings it, man. Yeah. You know? So the idea is that, you know, Flopsy goes missing. And, or he doesn't go missing, he turns up murdered. Right, because he comes to kill the dog? Yeah. He, he shows up with a big meat cleaver like, no one makes fun of Flopsy, you see? And uh, <laughs> ends up running into our... Yes, uh, the titular were- werewolf yeah. uh, shows up. <laughs> I love it. Flopsy turns around and goes, what? <laughs> nice doggy. Just great slack job, like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Wipes his eyes. Oh, blink, blink, blink. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's full on like Wile E. Coyote when he sees that thing. Just eyes bug out and become super big. <laughs> I was hoping for a little bit gorier death for him. But uh, didn't he have his throat slashed? Yeah, but I was hoping it was more gonna get like ripped out or something. Yeah. But um, still fine. Yeah. Uh, so he ends up dead, and the local authorities feel that it was the big German Shepherd, possibly Thor. Yeah, and because the last time anyone had seen him, it was when he was making a big deal that Thor had attacked him. So right. Thor is provoked into attacking Hot Uncle. Yeah, in, in werewolf. Phase and so Thor shows up and he's all cut and bloody and stuff like right. that. Uh, and you know, Hemingway has him taken away by animal services. Yeah, and, and actually, that, that scene surprised me that you chose this movie because you're on record as saying you don't like animals being tortured on film. Yeah, or just like, but I mean, in bad situations like that. Thor wasn't being tortured. <laughs> You're right. I mean, but like... He was taken away by, by you know, animal control. Uh, and it's sad. Like, they linger on that scene. No, it was hard to watch. You know, Thor is trying to, like, come back and, like, you know, be with the family while they're, like, dragging him away with, like, the neck noose poles. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really sad. It's, it's totally also sad. because we also have seen parts of the story from Thor's point of view yeah. so we have like a greater perspective than the family like we know that he's in the wrong here and that he was only trying to protect the family from the werewolf right uh, so he's being taken away for essentially trying to save everyone you know but it, for me it's like it's one of those things where it's like it gets my emotions running high and like <laughs> otherwise not very good movie like it really like tugs at my heart and I'm like oh the noble animals being taken away. It's really sad. I wish this movie would have really done more of the dog perspective. Yeah. Like the book does. Because, I mean, really, I'm not really super focused on the humans. I really am focused on Thor. Um, so the scene, she takes him and puts him in a room with, while she calls the authorities. Yeah. I wish we could have had, like, a little bit longer of the wait period with him in that room. We get a little bit of it, mm-hmm. but it like almost immediately, it's almost like gets in the room and then you see like a clock spin and then it's like the door opens. But it really would have been great to just see Thor waiting for a long period of time in that room. I have to disagree with you there. <laughs> you want to see a dog just sitting? Do you want him like reading the paper and like smoking a pipe? Scrolling through his... Uh... Going through the, the Count of Monte Cristo. How can I break <laughs> out of here? <laughs> yeah. 
Blue him laundry. watching the, the Great Escape on some television that was <laughs> in the laundry room. <laughs> Which is horrible... how I am when I see Steve McQueen on television. <laughs> so I have like a horrible paw that's holding holding a pencil, like <laughs> taking notes. They open up the door and he's got a leather jacket and he's on a motorcycle and he's trying to jump over a fence. <laughs> Sunglasses. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> now we got a movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is really sad. That is a sad thing. Yeah. So I was surprised to see see you choosing a movie with, with that in it. No dogs died in this movie. That's true. But then he, he like gets attacked and I don't know. I mean, that I can play up because I know that the dog's not actually being attacked. But mm-hmm. l- let's say we're talking about, uh, what's that awful Bong Joon-ho movie? Barking Dogs Don't Bite? Yeah, where like the opening scene is like that dog being strangled. Like, I know it's fake. Like, I obviously know the dog, like, didn't die on the rope there. But it's, like, a guy is purposely, like, hanging a dog mm-hmm. so that it dies. Like, that's that's a different sentiment than, like, this dog that's, like, trying to protect its family gets, like, beaten up a little bit, you know? I can watch Cujo. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, overwhelmed by, like, the St. Bernard there. Mostly because it's the villain. But What about the dog strangling scene in Prisoners? Did you have a problem with that? remember that part for whatever reason i had problems with that i i get i get a little icky in halloween when michael myers kills the dog oh yeah uh yeah man animals animal stuff really bugs me yeah i I, that that's animal stuff and really like cruelly obnoxious teenagers when i see those two things in movies for some reason like it takes me out of the movie like i can no longer like I, i watch all sorts of horror movies with like blood and gore and violence yeah and, like, that, I just see it as a movie. Like, I see an, a, an extension as this, like, fantasy world that the, you know, crew has created for me. Mm-hmm. But, like, when, yeah, like, an animal dies, you know, unjustly, like, for some reason that's different than, like, if a human dies unjustly. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I it, like, takes me out and I'm no longer enjoying it. So, I don't know. The, the, all the dog-related stuff still falls well inside, like, the confines of me suspending my disbelief for the movie. Okay. I didn't read the credits, but I'm sure there's the little like. There is a, a, no okay. animals were harmed. No more animals were harmed. Yeah, Gregory. no, I wa- I watched <laughs> for it. Yeah, I saw it. Okay, Gregory. Anyway, uh, child, kid, Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace plans a jailbreak. Yeah, pretty scrappy kid. Yeah, jumps off his roof. How great would it have been if they played Jailbreak during that by uh, uh, Finn Lizzie? Yes. <laughs> probably couldn't get the rights i think it, i think the great escape theme a little whistle <laughs> that they played during maggie's escape from the tyrannical uh-huh. uh, daycare center what's the what's the quote where it's like um mrs simpson do you know what a baby's saying when she reaches for a bottle baba she's saying i am a leech oh john lovitz <laughs> that's right he's the voice uh whatever happened to that guy I love that guy. Yeah, give him some some work. Quentin Tarantino got the next career for you to, uh, you know, revamp. So yeah, there's a jailbreak. Yeah, uh, Dennis the Menace gets the dog out, but really, like the dog, kind of like after he's like let out of the cell, he gets himself out of the jail. Yeah. Do we get a shot? Do we get a scene of uh, Dennis the Menace escaping? Then? No. <laughs> nope. I mean, he got in. He can get out. Yeah, he just climbed over the fence. I guess the dog can't really climb over the fence. Yeah. 
So, you know, there's some uh, suspiciously placed cars and dumpsters that help the dog get out, but... Also, that was a stressful scene when Thor's running down the street and the cars, like, had to swerve to miss him. Yeah. That was... That's some stunt work. That's a stunt dog. I I was thinking uh, while watching this that I was like, if I was the director, I'd be like, listen, crew, (laughs) I value this dog's safety more than any of you. (laughs) I remember thinking, they probably filmed this scene last just in case the dog gets run over. (laughs) Because then they could still make the movie. (laughs) If anything that happens to this dog, I will do to you personally. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was actually, like, filmed at... um, like a slower speed, they're actually only going like five miles an hour. And they Benny Hill. <laughs> and then now they sped it up. <laughs> That'd be good dog acting because he was like still extending himself for the run. <laughs> Stinky the mutt. <laughs> Top notch. You want a you want a dog actor? You get Stinky the mutt. That's that's how you make a dog movie. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that car scene in Bad Moon? It's amazing. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> After the jailbreak, we are treated to what I feel is the finest dog on werewolf battle scene that has ever graced cinema. I can't disagree with you. Uh, we got hot uncle in werewolf mode, terrorizing uh, just Muriel Hemingway at this point. Right. Uh, she pulls out her uh, Amodovar's gazpacho. Her, her little revolver that she kept uh, high in the kitchen. Uh, hasn't really been introduced but until the third act, but uh, we see it when, like, shit's about to get real, and then she, you know, loads it up. And, yeah, there's, like, a little standoff with, like, her and the werewolf. Shoots him a bunch, yeah. and then, like all revolvers, runs out of ammo. The reason she shoots him is because he starts strangling... Dennis the Menace. Yeah. And, uh, she really, like, goes for it. Get the fuck off my side! Like, wow. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> that was very intense. But, uh, a battle ensues between the werewolf and Thor, and, I mean, I don't know how they did it, but they did some great stunt work with that dog. Yeah, it really looks like the dog is getting beat up. Yeah, like, it looks like a whole large German Shepherd is being thrown across the room. Like, at one point, like, the royal throws him and he hits the lighting fixture on the yeah, ceiling. Yeah, I thought that's crazy. And it looks very convincing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a scene that could have gone awry in so many ways. This is definitely one of those scenes in, like, horror and science fiction that, like, would just be ripe to look shitty. Yeah. Like, top to it's bottom. It's just, like, a stuffed German Shepherd yeah. being tossed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, by some dude in a hair suit, yeah. like <laughs> hitting hitting the light and then it breaking after the dog has fallen <laughs> down. Yeah, yeah. There, there's just a lot that could have gone wrong, but when you watch it, it, it they really pulled it together for this scene. Mm-hmm. So it it's one of those things that like all the faults of like screenwriting or other things that happened previously, like suddenly it's erased because we have this like very exciting scene where it really looks like a German Shepherd's being beaten up and like holding its own against a werewolf, like, yeah. protecting its, its pack, its family. Yeah. Uh, sort of culminating in, you know, uh, the dog, who you think is down and out, gets up and hits the werewolf, and they, they fall out through the window. Right. Uh, off the roof and onto the ground. 
And yeah, it's just, it's, it really comes across as just being very skillfully pulled off. I was, I'm just, now I'm thinking about this. Are there other movies where like the werewolf kill scene happens in like a person's home? Like, I can't remember that happening before. Uh, let's see. I mean, my werewolf knowledge is limited. Mm-hmm. You know, Lon Chaney Jr. one, he's definitely like out in the woods. That's what I'm imagining for most of the movies I've seen. I don't <clears> remember <throat> how Michael J. Fox died at the end of Teen Wolf. <laughs> Wait a minute, are you going to tell me you're a fag? I mean, if you're going to tell me you're a fag, I don't think I can handle it. Oh, I'm not a fag. I'm a werewolf. I don't think I've seen Teen Wolf since I was 10 or 11 or something like that. I think I was still too young to be offended by that. Oh yeah, me too. If Michael J. Fox said that now, I would not be pleased. <laughs> well, what about the scene in this movie when uh, Meryl Hemingway is yelling at Dennis the Menace for being a faggot and not taking out the trash? <laughs> it was an odd turn for a mother to yell that at her son, but, you know... Those were the times. I mean, <laughs> it was really the uh, earnest part of her heritage coming out. <laughs> she that, that, wanted... That's why when she shot the uncle and he died and she was like, the sun also rises. <laughs> God, what if she did that? What if that was her thing? <laughs> Every movie she kills someone and then makes an Ernest Hemingway reference. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Boy, I don't know. <laughs> Go back to the sea, old man. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there's a, uh, there's a, um, she gets the carpenters over to fix the window, like, stat the next day. They're Mm -hmm. fixing the window. She got him off of Angie's list. They were, like, prompt. She gave him a good review. And then she goes to go pet Thor. And Thor turns into a werewolf. <laughs> Not. It's a dream. Yes. Wakes up out of a stupor. Thor, Dennis the Menace, come hug her. So I, I think it's a solid final scare, though, for the movie. The, oh, I wasn't expecting it. The little Cronenbergian monster dog. I forgot Thor ends up killing Wolfman. Yes. Like the sun comes up and he turns back into human. He's all beat up from falling out of the second story window. And Thor's there and he's, and he's like, oh, just kill me. And Thor does. Yes. Awesome. Um, but then, yeah, there's the final scare, and that's kind of it. Um, there is a scene that I find questionable. Mariel Hemingway is going through his stuff in the Airstream mm-hmm. while he's out and about someplace. I don't know if they mention it. And she sees pictures oh. of his old girlfriend. And one of the pictures is like her all ripped up and dead. <laughs> I'm like, why do you have this photo? <laughs> you took that. <laughs> yeah, it's not like the werewolf took it and sent it <laughs> to you. <laughs> Like, she died, you took a Polaroid, and then put it with, like, the romantic pictures of you two together. Okay, so, mythology go. I mean, this movie kind of throws werewolf mythology out the window. And where are you drawing your werewolf mythology from? Because as we've already established, this does not subscribe to thriller rules. (laughs) I guess just the general, like, silver bullets. Like, Dennis the Menace says, silver bullets kill it, full moon is what makes you change. Yeah. And, like, if, if one bites you, you become a werewolf. Yeah. So, like, does he get bit in that no, first thing? He just gets, he gets scratched. scratched. Okay. And then I think this also begs the question, what happens to a dog that gets bit by a werewolf? Because the dog gets scratched and bit, 
but nothing yeah. happened. No, I definitely thought about that too because I was like, yeah, at least from what we see in that opening scene, the uncle gets scratched across the chest. Yeah, that's really the end of it, you know. For as far as the the, the attacks that he gets, everything else is focused on his, you know, hot piece of research tail. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the implication that is that this could happen. Yeah, to I guess that's what the final scare is about. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't completely resolve it, though, either, because it's yeah. in, like, mm, this still could happen. Yeah. <laughs> we have no idea what the timeline is between Transformation and Scratch. So. Um, leaves it open for a sequel. Yeah. Bad Moon 2. I, so, I think this movie has problems. It's sure. not a perfect film, by any means. No. But I actually liked it. Sure. There's There's a lot of breezy pros. 78 I was going to say, the, the uh, length is great. 70, 78 minutes is, like... Even a shitty movie I can watch for 78 minutes. Like, yeah. And this one isn't. I think it looks beautiful. Yeah, it, like, it's, it's very cin- well produced. The cinematographer gets an A plus for me. Like, the greens sure. are just Super brilliant. lush, and greens. And the reds, whenever blood shows up, it's, mm-hmm. it pops so much. I don't know. There was a real good attention to color in this movie, which I thought was great. I like the idea of telling a werewolf story from the perspective of the dog. Sure. I just wish there was more of it. I know that yeah. sounds stupid. Yeah, I agree with you there. Like, once you sort of mentioned how the book was written, I was like, oh, that kind of sounds better. Oh, it just needed, like, some a little more retooling, and it could have been really great. Yeah, this... I mean, the movie, when you're looking at it really hard, you can tell that it's low budget because it's, like, it has a very limited cast. Right. And then, like, the set, it's like, yeah, we got some exteriors of a big house, but, like, the interiors were probably just, like leftover sets from like family ties or something like that totally you know when you're really looking for it you can tell that the movie didn't have a big budget but it doesn't feel like a low budget film right the makeup and animatronics are solid they they put their money into cinematography and it was well directed it doesn't feel cheap it doesn't feel like they cut corners it's only if you're noticing like how small the cast is that it's like oh they purposely kept it small you know to save on that so that Mm -hmm. they could spend it on things like you know how it looked yeah uh, and i think this movie would have really benefited from having a separate writer and director or at least like another person sure another another some more eyes on the script it just needed like another couple passes or a few more thousand bucks or whatever you know yeah like, it really could have made a difference because i'm stealing this from you but like you you were talking mm-hmm. about like what makes the room so enjoyable to watch but like say troll 2 like yeah it's bad but it's like in science fiction and horror, there's so many different things that can go wrong, like, mm-hmm. you know, makeup or special effects or, like, you know, the premise is often, like, more ridiculous and it's easy for it to go off the rails, whereas, like, the room is drama. So, yeah. like, the idea that that's so crazy is even more impressive. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of those movies, like, there's a lot that really could have gone wrong. There's right. a, a lot that could have looked horrible. There's a lot that could have made this movie, like, look and feel stupid. And it doesn't. Like, it really sort of succeeds in taking the resources that they had and making it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you, Bad Moon. <laughs> bad Moon, you keep on being bad. You're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up next in our Schlocktoberfest? Uh, well, I want to do something that is 
Jeez, I don't even know how to justify this. It's just, it's a movie that scares the hell out of me. And it's because I'm claustrophobic. Mm. The Descent. Mm. I know specifically which scene you're referring to. Oh, I'm already, my hands are sweating just thinking about it. I ha- I've seen this movie once. That's it? That's that's it. Oh, I, no way. I, I watch this movie like every two years, like uh, at least every other October. I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it since that first time i watched i saw this movie in theaters essentially Uh and you know how earlier i was saying like oh i don't really scare that easily at scary movies when i saw this in theaters i was definitely like this might be too scary for me (laughs) anyway we're gonna watch it and talk about it yeah should we exit this film and uh plug our junk let's plug our junk subscribe to us on itunes and you know like and rate and review also helps it gets the it's the best way to get the word out there for for the podcast mm-hmm. you can send us tweets our handle there is at x-rated movies to get the most up-to-date information uh like us or follow us on facebook at rated x movies mm-hmm. and uh if you have ideas about what the hot uncle is mm. and you're embarrassed to put it on twitter mm-hmm. because you know your boss could be following you we have an email it's just x.rated.movies at gmail.com and we'll keep it private. Uh, I promise we won't take screenshots and put it on Twitter and be like, hey, so-and-so wrote us. I'd love to know what a potential hot uncle would be, or could be, or should be, or will be. Yeah. Maybe we've already done the hot uncle and we don't know it. <sighs> I've been doing sex moves with no <laughs> name on them. What will I tell my grandchildren? It's just a big s- stew of a ambiguousness. Anyway, next week... The Descent, right here on X-Rated.